Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, that league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, and it is, once again, a midweek edition of Second Helping. Brent Beard, outstanding job for First Coast News as the college football analyst for the Jacksonville, Florida television station for many years now. Brent, a renowned voice in college football, college athletics, with an emphasis on the SEC. Brent, how are we doing on this Wednesday? Trent, I don't know if this time of year really gets the uh, due uh, that it deserves uh, when you're talking about um, uh, the conference tournaments going on a, uh, a week away from the uh, big dance, uh, team starting spring practice. We've got the uh, players, one of the biggest events uh, in golf, certainly coming up. They're going to be dodging thunderstorms, unfortunately, this week. But, man, when you roll all that together, I, I love opening weekend and Labor Day weekend and so forth. But I, I think this weekend gets forgotten a little bit, Trav, with all that is actually going on if, if you love sports and college sports particularly. Yeah, college baseball getting closer right. to conference play, SEC play on the baseball diamond about a week away. Now, college softball, they'll crank up sec play this weekend so wow. you get that going i know it seems like it got here quickly uh yeah. for those sports but you're right a confluence of several sports coming together of course no bigger event really in collegiate athletics maybe sports in general on the american side of things anyway you're not gonna challenge the world cup and soccer <laughs> or things like that or even cricket for crying out loud <laughs> but march madness yeah, it's just a breathtaking event on an annual basis. You're right. We've got the players on the PGA Tour. we got the Masters upon us and well, I guess less than a month's time, right around a month's time. So everything's happening. And speaking of happening, we've got more teams in the Southeastern Conference either getting spring practice underway here in the last day or so, or we've got several teams certainly still on the precipice of cranking up those 15 workouts in the months of March and April. Yeah, uh, and it's fun to see a lot of them already starting. I know A&M is going uh, at this point. They had a little video of them running out of the tunnel for the first time. Uh, Georgia getting cranked up. Uh, Alabama uh, on uh, uh, that's on Friday. They're they're going to be ready to go. So uh, and. Still a lot of interesting off-the-field uh, as far as transfers, where guys are landing and so forth. So uh, if you're an SEC fan, it's almost a different team. It's starting uh, either every day, Trav, or every few days. Did I see in your notes that Arkansas is going to have its first spring practice on a Sunday? Yeah. Was that correct? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. I, I haven't seen I, that before. No, no, I'm not sure why, but uh, they are cranking it up this Sunday, as a matter of fact. Yeah. No NFL to go against. So, uh, hey, why not, right? And you touched on it in terms of loose ends around the Southeastern Conference. Still some interesting items from a personnel perspective, probably as much as anything else. Some guys that maybe we didn't see last year that we're anticipating seeing back in the league in 2022. And let's start with the defending national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs, if we're going to do that, because 
I don't know if there's been more intrigue surrounding a guy we've seen so little oh, of. Really? And he did do some nice things as a true freshman at LSU. But Eric Gilbert, now at Georgia, what are we hearing out of Athens? Because we didn't see him in 2021. There was so much speculation, rumblings about his status, in some instances, maybe even his well-being. Um, what do we know about Gilbert at this point, Brent? He has been back since January, and, and it's been fairly quiet uh, to some degree, but it's certainly getting out that uh, he is back with the team. Uh, and and look, listen, his role is going to be interesting. I mean, if people look at Gilbert as a tight end, but you've also got Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington there. I think there's more speculation, Trav, that he may be a receiver this year as much as anything else. Uh, but, boy, if they, if they do want to put him in from time to time and kind of have a three-tight end set, what a, uh, a, a, what a monster something like that would be. But, look, my, my question, your question, and probably everybody else's question is, uh, does he have his personal stuff right. uh, in, in order, and will he be ready to go? Yeah, that's first and foremost on your list of concerns with Gilbert. You just hope that he's in a good place, a good uh, mind space, uh, headspace where he can take care of the things that matter most with football being secondary on that front. But you're right, man. When you consider the tight end types, and we can talk about Gilbert as a wide receiver, he's still going to be sort of a hybrid, you know, wherever they line him up. I don't see him lining up as a true X, put it that way, split wide. I think he's still going to be probably more of an emphasis in the middle of the field and with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. You know, if you're Jermaine Burton, I guess you could look at that situation and say, (laughs) you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. And not that Jermaine Burton isn't worthy of targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has proven to be just that uh, in his time at Georgia. But I'm guessing that made Alabama look even more attractive to a guy like (laughs) Jermaine Burton. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, so he'll he'll be able to take advantage of it. Uh, so and and we'll certainly get into it as the spring goes along. Uh, again, uh, really heavy at tight end. There's some other groups inside linebackers. Uh, we're redoing that offensive line, uh, particularly on defense. Trav, I, I think that's what's going to get uh, one Kirby Smart's attention throughout a lot of this spring. I don't think there's any doubt about that because if you saw or followed any of the NFL combine from over the weekend, you saw the talent on display that Georgia is losing from the defensive side of the ball. And for me, it starts with N'Kobe Dean. I know Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt up front. I understand their importance and they were a big part, big pieces to the success that N'Kobe Dean had there at Georgia, but that alpha type in the middle of the field and a lot of times you can replace talent with talent intangibles that's where the difference comes in and that's where it'll be interesting to see how george is able to proceed with nicobe dean moving on seems like we can never not talk about the quarterback position in relation to the transfer portal and its impact on the southeastern conference And there it was. Once again, here in the last few days, we have learned LSU with a significant addition to its quarterback room in the form of Jaden Daniels coming in from Arizona State. Did that surprise you given the retention of Miles Brennan? Brent, or 
did you maybe anticipate that this could be in the making for for Brian Kelly and the Tigers? No, I, I was a bit surprised by it, frankly. Uh, and, and, and with Daniels coming aboard, and, and now again, I mean, he has been productive. I mean, in three years of Arizona State, 6,000 yards, 32 touchdowns, and 13 picks. Uh, so that, uh, now they did go eight and five. So all that's not on his shoulders. And they obviously had uh, some problems internally to go along with all of that. But my, my question, Trav, and, and, and one thing you and I've talked about now for years is, and we've got several schools like this in the SEC, is when you've got three to five quarterbacks in your quarterback room, and, and uh, do you really have one quarterback uh, who's going to be your starter? Yeah, it's kind of, do you go with maybe the, projected steadiness that you anticipate from Miles Brennan. And I think what maybe validates the decision, justifies the decision to add to that room is that, well, Miles Brennan, through no fault of his own, hasn't been able to stay healthy the no, last two years. Not at so, all. you know, if you're Brian Kelly and you're thinking about you know, what the expectations are going to be for you in that program, even in year one, you, you, you got to have a plan at quarterback and you know I think Jaden Daniels watching him the little bit that I did during his time under Herm Edwards there at Arizona State just felt like kind of a a hit or miss guy you know when Jaden Daniels is good he can be really really good can be a big time playmaker uh, in that offense but at the same time he can also be suspect to mistakes that can be catastrophic at times as well. So interesting to see how LSU moves forward at the quarterback position. I guess one program that has gotten spring drills underway in the SEC, maybe not as much of a concern at quarterback, but offensive staff in general, the Kentucky Wildcats with some turnover on the offensive side of the ball and certainly some playmaking uh, production going out the the door in Wondell Robinson. What what do the cats look like on the offensive side of the ball going into spring drills? Uh, I right. think this is going to be fascinating. Frankly, uh, they get a new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen. Trav, did he get the credit he deserved uh, in that short period of time that he was there? He got back? it from Sean McVay because yeah, uh, he did, I guess he? Cohen's <laughs> back with the Rams, right? Uh, he is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they got a new offensive line coach because they're old and went to Alabama. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I think what we're seeing here is, um, uh, expectations, the, the, in Kentucky that we probably have never seen in quite a while. Uh, now, uh, Scan Guerrero, uh, comes from the 49ers. He is their new offensive coordinator, uh, that's coming in. Uh, and they've still got, I think that backfield still pretty loaded. Re- really like what they've done there. They've got guys coming back like DeAndre Square and inside linebacker. Is it, Trev, is it, is it safe to say that uh, Stoops, in his own uh, quiet but effective way, uh, I'm not saying they're going to win 10 games every year, but uh, I remember your tr- your trip when how mummy was playing Alabama years ago. Uh, I, I, I would say right now, Kentucky is, is it as stable as they've been in years? 
I would say so, absolutely. Uh, and that absolutely goes back to to Mark Stoops and the tremendous job he's done. Here's what Mark Stoops does, or here's what he's done, in my opinion. When Kentucky's been the better team, I would venture to guess nine times out of ten in those matchups, they've won those games. When right. you ask how right. does Mark Stoops win as many games as he does, well, if Mark Stoops, if a Mark Stoops team is predicted to be third or fourth in the SEC East, you can almost write it down that whatever teams are four, five, six, seven in that division, that's going to be four wins right there for Kentucky. They don't seem to lose games under Mark Stoops, Brent, that they are Correct. the better team or they're expected to win. And then I think they have sort of a cross-division uh, opponent in Mississippi State who they've had success against. So um, they take care of business in games in which you would think they're the better team. And uh, then they mix in some wins over Florida here in the last yeah. few years, something they hadn't done in 30-plus before Mark Stoops showed up in Lexington. So, uh, what is it, seven of eight they've won over South Carolina? That's the yeah. type of game I'm talking about. And wins over Tennessee here of late as well. Well, it's these 50-50 games to yeah. where they're playing better. And, and, and look, Gator fans don't want to hear this, but – uh, Trav, they they beat Florida last year uh, on the strength of their defense. We mentioned DeAndre Square, who had 13 tackles, Trav, against the Gators. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they and and the truth of the matter is, Kentucky media will also tell you there were what two or three of those games against the Gators that they thought uh, they got the raw end of the officiating deal with that, or they, w- they would have won more than they did. Uh, uh, bowl wins. And uh, look, we're not saying Kentucky's going to win the Eastern division, but this is a team now. And, and listen, timing is everything. Is it not? They, uh, he has taken advantage of uh, Florida and Tennessee and South Carolina uh, having uh, uh, coaching issues, coaching transition, and it's worked out well for Stoops uh, over the last few years with that. Yeah, you look at some of those programs that you mentioned, uh, you know, Tennessee and Florida, and uh, you, you look at Nick Saban's reign of terror, I would call it, in the eyes of opposing fans. Yes. Yeah. In the SEC, and you hear people say, well, it, he got processed, the, this particular coach. But it's losses to teams like Kentucky that get you fired as quickly as anything if you're Dan Mullen. Right. If you're yes. Jeremy Pruitt or you're you know, Will Muschamp or, or whoever's in charge at South Carolina, those those are the kind of games that, that get you fired. And those have become the kind of games, at least where Kentucky is concerned, uh, where they're not circled or penciled in that way on the schedule. You know, it's amazing when we look at the quarterback position now on an annual basis and we run down these teams, Brent, in the Southeastern Conference, and we talk about how much the transfer portal has impacted the quarterback position. Kentucky has certainly benefited from the portal. Oh, yeah. um, it's had some guys go out, but it, it seems to have come up on the plus side of that. Um, you know, Missouri was involved in the Jaden Daniels recruitment before he ended up at LSU, uh, Ole Miss going into this spring with Jackson Dart coming in from USC and Luke Altmyer, an in-state prospect, looking to step forward as a successor to Matt Corral. Uh, these coaches, they're, they're, they're not leaving themselves open to 
a scenario of either injury or ineffective play at the most important position of the field, South Carolina, you know, doing the same thing. Um, the, the, the acquisition of arms, literally, I guess you could say, at that position, it, it just continues to, to move through the Southeastern Conference. Uh, well, I think what's happened with the league is, and we see it in college football in general, we've moved very much close to seven-on-seven football. Uh, and, and if you're going to play seven-on-seven football, you've got to have a game-changer at quarterback. And, and that's why we're seeing guys – um, who are coming into these teams uh, who can be effective, uh, frankly, immediately. Uh, and Jackson Dart uh, with Ole Miss, uh, not only do they bring Jackson Dart over, they bring his favorite tight end target over uh, to be with them too. Kind of so, like South Carolina did with Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Know. Yeah, no question about that. Now, Trav, you mentioned uh, – uh, you mentioned Missouri. We don't quite know where that's going to go. Brady Cook played a little bit last year. Tyler Macon, they like. Uh, but, but as you mentioned, they were. They thought they might have a real chance at Jaden Daniels. That that just did not work out for them. But, uh, again, they're going to have to get a, a much better quarterback. But as far as a team like Missouri, and there's still some SEC teams like this. Until Missouri fixes that defense problem, Trev, uh, does it really matter who they bring in at quarterback? Yeah, with an emphasis on run defense because, boy, they struggled mightily during the 2021 season uh, in that area of of defensive football. And, yeah, I mean, Jackson Dart, you you could easily see him stepping in there as a successor to Matt Corral. I don't think Luke Altmyer's going to make it easy. We saw Altmyer in the Sugar Bowl loss for Ole Miss to Baylor. Tough spot to be put in against that Baylor defense yes. with Corral going out early. Saw some good things from Altmyer. Saw some not so good things. So should be an intense competition in Oxford. Speaking of spring practice and some news items worth mentioning, Tennessee, no spring game this year yeah. for the balls yeah. in year two under Josh Heupel, Brent? Yeah, I talked to one of the Tennessee media friends of ours, and he said that they've got stadium construction that is uh, going on, uh, and maybe that comes from having a – I'm sure a lot of that was planned, but probably encouraged by the excitement that Tennessee fans uh, have gotten at this point. They will not have a public scrimmage. They've got – some kind of a still inviting fans uh, to come to uh, uh, the, the school to have a little bit of everything that's softball, baseball related during this time. Now, they have promoted Kelsey Pope to wide receivers coach. He was uh, one of their analysts. Uh, they've got to find a few more folks for Hendon Hooker to throw the ball to We've been talking about quarterbacks today is almost a little bit of a theme, and and uh, Hooker has uh, frankly done a nice job. You and I were in Bright Denny for that Tennessee game. We were both impressed by Cedric Tillman, and they lose Velas Jones uh, likely to the league. They've got some pretty good tight ends in Princeton Font and Jacob Warren uh, during that time too, but uh, – 
that they've got to develop some receivers during the spring uh, and throughout the summer uh, to have a little bit more of a variety for Hooker to throw to this year. That's going to be important for them. You mentioned earlier Alabama gets underway Friday. Nick Saban with the uh, the annual single practice the Friday before spring break to get <laughs> the drills going for the yes. Crimson Tide. Um, you look at this Alabama team, a quarter away from a seventh national title under Nick Saban in January, and that loss to the Georgia Bulldogs Seems like we're looking at the offense once again in terms of biggest question marks for this team. Not that there aren't some on defense as well, with probably more of an emphasis on really corner than anywhere else on that defense. But wide receiver, offensive tackle, center, running back, quarterback depth. How do you sort of prioritize those concerns for Alabama as the Crimson Tide gets spring practice underway? I I still think that uh, that they are going to be better on the offensive line, but that offensive tackle position that you've written about is going to be very important of who rises from that. Damian George, who played a little bit, Amari Knight, some of these youngsters like J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockenmeyer, that's going to be fascinating uh, and obviously the wide receiver position, uh, who, re- who really has paid attention to some of the comments from Nick Saban during the off season, what would a Trev, what would a healthy Jojo Earl look like? Uh, I think along that line, Jermaine Burton coming in is going to be fascinating. So obviously, uh, at nine of 11, sometimes you could argue 10 of 11 coming back on defense, but there's still plenty to talk about during the spring for the tide. Uh, that that's going to make it an interesting three, four weeks for them during the spring. It is. And you've got coaching turnover to consider as well at a lot of these positions where they are primary concerns for Alabama, whether it's Traveris Robinson in the corners, uh, yes. and, the, the, the changes you're going to have personnel-wise there. The offensive line with Eric Wolford coming in from Kentucky, and as you outlined, got to find a couple of offensive tackles. Got to figure out if your center is Seth McLaughlin. Do you go back to Darian Dahlcourt? Um, yeah, wide receiver Holman Wiggins back to coach those guys, but for the second straight year, a ton of production goes out the door, and you, know, you got to figure some things out in terms of quarterback depth. Mm-hmm. Or bringing in Ty Simpson, a five-star a quarterback signee, an early enrollee to go along with Jalen Milrow behind Bryce Young. Which of those two guys maybe takes a step forward in March and April, not only in terms of solidifying depth behind Bryce Young, but establishing themselves perhaps as the early leader to succeed Bryce Young as you anticipate in a year's time. So plenty to consider in Tuscaloosa here moving forward and a topic I wanted to talk about with you today, Brent, because we touched on this last week, Kirk Herb street going to have a little busier schedule coming up during the 2022 football season. It sounds like. Yeah. That deal has been made with Amazon that for him to call uh, Thursday night games. Um, so he is going to have quite a, uh, a busy week that that's going to be fascinating. I know when when Chris Fowler and Kirk 
did a game together, it was, it was almost flawless uh, with the NFL. He will be uh, very prepared, no question about that. Uh, but, but Trav, I, I'm still just incredibly intrigued by this streaming and and just where this is going. Uh, and and uh, it, it, can guys like Pops be able to yeah. pick up a Thursday night Amazon feed? I got a. I actually <laughs> last Friday night I got an emergency text from Nate oh. that Pops was in uh, Mayday mode with the new yeah. streaming stuff we talked oh. about last week. So. on a Friday night, I have to go over to Pops's and get him situated with the YouTube TV and the ESPN Plus. And, you know, it was like uh, giving a baby its bottle, you know, kind of pacifying (laughs) it, settling it down. I think Nana was very appreciative because Pops was about to lose his mind. But he does. He loves the the possibilities he has yes, with I'm all sure this now. It's just a matter. He's seventy four years old, and you know what sacrifices, what hardships, at least in his mind, anyway. Yes, yes. Are he willing? <laughs> is he willing to sort of navigate to have all this? And right now, I I think he's still um, very excited about it. Uh, you know, he 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 loves it. So, but you're right. There is still. There's still a phobia among fans, I guess you could say, when it comes to outright commitment to streaming services instead of just good old, reliable AT&T, Xfinity, and, well, paying them twice the price that you would pay for the the streaming services. And I think a thing here, uh, and, and I won't chase this rabbit long, but I think this is important. If you're the marketing people, Trav, for these streaming services, aren't you spending more time than you normally would and presenting this to your uh, 50-year-olds and above yeah. uh, that you can actually do this yeah. from the comfort of your home and enjoy it? Wouldn't that be a real emphasis? Here's the thing I've noticed with Pops and also my father-in-law because we – we tried to get him set up and he eventually turned back the cable <laughs> is, is the surfability yes. of the, of the, uh, online of the streaming of the apps. Uh, you know, older folks that I've encountered, they like their remotes. You know True. what I mean? Like yes. they've developed literally yes. not even just a functionality attachment <laughs> to their remotes, but it's almost yeah. sentimental, yeah. like a pet, you know? Yes. yes. And, they, they don't like the idea of when you tell them, well, no, you're not going to use that remote anymore. And I'll tell you something else. You get older folks, maybe their vision isn't as good. You know what they like? They like that voice command. They oh, yes. like being able to Absolutely. speak into that remote. And it does, because with Pops and my father-in-law, their vision is to the point they, they have a hard time seeing sure. the, 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 the font. And the right. and the numbers and things they're so small on the remote. Absolutely. I look like you said we don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but these are the things that y- you have to take into consideration um, if you are a streaming service right now. And conversely, if you're a cable company, uh, you want to reinforce as much as anything the convenience, the ease. Uh, the accessibility, those type of things with that sort of demographic and, and keep them around as long as you can. Well, what makes this relevant to the people listening to us is 
this is going to be a big part. They don't realize it yet, but the the entities that are bidding on the expansion of the playoffs travel. Look, we know CBS and ESPN is going to be involved, but there's going to be a hunk of this programming for the playoffs that are going to going to be bid on by these streaming companies. And to me, that's going to be one of the more fascinating ways that, that, that we don't know how this is going to be figured out, but don't think for, for a minute that they're not going to be involved with it, too. No doubt. And as quickly as technology is evolving, the things that I outline from an accessibility and ease of movement uh, from one app to the next or one channel to the next, it's going to be there quickly. Yes. They're gonna, they're gonna, you know, eliminate those type of concerns that I outlined uh, very, very quickly. I would think. Hey, Brent, also wanted to talk to you about an interesting update you had for us in your notes this week. Most improved offenses in college football from 2020 to 2021, and boy, if you're a Tennessee fan, <laughs> uh, you feel even better about that Josh Heupel hire, given the jump the Vols made. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and you know some other SEC offenses show up pretty well here. Uh, well, uh, I mean Tennessee goes from rank 108 in the nation <laughs> uh, to number seven. So uh, if you're to me, what Josh Heupel did, and I talked about this to a Tennessee fan at the gym the other day that they brought this up is, look, if you're a new coach, you're coming in. Even if you don't win a lot of games, if you can be exciting and score a lot of points, that means people are going to buy a ticket. So that that's pretty much a formula that Hypo used in his first year. And then, Trav, we talked about Kentucky. You've got ten, uh, in this list, Tennessee's first, Michigan State's second, and Trav, Kentucky's third. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, very impressive to sort of consider and understanding, as we talked about earlier, if you're Kentucky, you're undergoing some transition once again on that side of the ball. But, you know, for Tennessee in year one under Josh Heupel, the the expectation now is top 10 offense every year. Absolutely. So we'll see if Hendon Hooker coming back certainly helps with that. Um you know, got to consider some some losses maybe at the receiver position, but also return some considerable production there. So, uh, boy, that just heightens expectations for a second really coach does. when you make that kind of jump. <laughs> hey, Brent, anything else before we get out of here? I know there's been some talk about Army Navy, yeah, and maybe a rule change or two of particular interest. Well, uh, the Army-Navy situation, uh, Orlando is trying to get the game. I tell you what, and I hope Jacksonville does more of this over the next few years, uh, Orlando has not been uh, ashamed or shy about bidding for uh, events. They may not get all of them, but they're trying to get or an Army-Navy in 2027. Uh, I know you've been to that, uh, and, and I've talked to people who have – and uh, it, the people who go say it, it is a bucket list or should be for people for their future. No, there's no doubt about it. I've been fortunate enough to go to three uh, of the, the Army-Navy meetings, uh, a couple of those in Baltimore, one of them in Philadelphia, 
And yeah, I would agree with Jacksonville making a lot of sense. I mean, when you consider Navy uh, military uh, installations and towns in this country, Jacksonville can go with pretty much uh, any of those. And so you've got the facility to do it in Northeast Florida. Uh, I like the feel of cold weather Army Navy. I think it's the nostalgia that goes with that. Now, having attended some of those cold weather Army Navy games, I can tell you that that sort of uh, sentimental attachment to Army Navy is probably overrated. Uh, I had to have that reinforced to, to me first firsthand. But no, a lot of fun. If you ever get an opportunity, absolutely. Army Navy, get there early. Um, you know, watch the cadets and and the and the and the, and the, and the those folks enter the stadium in formation. Uh, it's just tremendous from start to finish. You just can't top really army Navy. So Brent with that, it's been a lot of fun, man. Always something going on in the Southeastern conference. And certainly we'll be locked in on the men's basketball tournament down in Tampa over the next three, four, five days and Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Auburn. Then you get into Alabama, some of those teams that have a puncher's chance anyway. Do you have a feel maybe for how this tournament's going to go? Do you go with the brand names? Do you go with the regular season champion in Auburn? Uh, what are you thinking for this SEC men's basketball tournament? I, I still think when Kentucky is healthy, and this is no knock on Auburn because they're tremendous, but when Kentucky is healthy, that they they they're probably the best team in the league. Uh, I think that's becoming a little bit more in vogue. Uh, but, Trav, I still say that top four uh, with Arkansas and Tennessee, included with Kentucky and Auburn, I think one or, or multiple of those teams could go a, a long, long way uh, in the SEC tournament and, and quite often uh, also make some real, real noise in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. You get Ty Ty Washington right. You get Severe Wheeler right. They've yes. been beat up, banged up through the second half of the season to go along with Oscar Shibway. Um, and, and Kellen Grady, a big part of that, too, uh, in terms of his ability to stretch the four and make teams pay from, from three-point range. Um, boy, it's just hard for me to go against Jabari Smith, such a fabulous player for Auburn, and Walker really? Kessler to compliment him in the post. And, you know, for Auburn, it really comes down to on the ball, I think. Can they get good enough play from Wendell Green Jr., K.J. Johnson, some of those guys, uh, you know, to to do what they need to do to become that complete team here in the postseason. Should be a lot of fun, no doubt about it. Look forward to that coming up and look forward to rejoining you next week right here on Second Helping. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us. If you leave us a rating and a review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Brent, look forward to next week. Me too, pal. Uh, We'll have more teams that will be starting spring practice, and we will know who will be in the dance. So uh, always a lot of fun. Appreciate it. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping. Until next time, so long, everybody.